Hello. Hi there. Hi, and welcome to Praise Dionysus. Praise, Praise him. him. Oh, whoa, 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 yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, we're welcome nice. back to the Midsummery. Welcome back to the Midsummery. Episode two, Midsummery. We're, we're here too. Very excited. Yes. Um, we've got a bunch of things to talk about. Uh-huh. Uh, we're going to be talking about Hot Summer Nights at Gasworks. On the Uncertainty of Signs by Willing. And The Inheritance at 45 Downstairs. Ah, so excited. Yeah. Here we are, Midsummer's off to a Kraken start. Yeah, it is Kraken. <laughs> like the sea creature. Like the sea creature. Let's get started. Pirates of Penzance? Pirates of the Caribbean, but also just like pirates generally, it's part of their mythology. So it could have been in Pirates of Penzance. Uh, I guess implicitly it was. Implicitly? Implicitly in the way that they are canonically pirates and pirates share a mythology? Oh, implicitly. I forgot what the word means. What did you think it meant? Like, I thought it meant like there, there was definitely, yes, confirmed. Kraken confirmed. Oh, explicitly? Penzance. Yes. Yeah, I think you meant, I thought I, let's start the show. I imagine that you thought that implicit meant that it was just something conveyed to people by imps. Was that where you got confused? I love imps. You love imps. You know, in Star Wars, imps is what they refer to uh, people who used to be part of the Imperial Empire. Oh. When, when it was over, they say imps. Okay, let's say. start, I think. Okay, well. <laughs> So, how you doing, James? Uh, I'm good, but I don't like the aggression from you. <laughs> well, go fuck yourself then. Jesus. You dirty imp. Oh, yeah. Which I've <laughs> How actually... dare you? Yes, you used to belong to the Imperial Navy. What did you say? The, the Empire. The Empire. The Imperial. It's just the Empire. The Empire. And the Star Wars. The Empire. You know, like, dun, 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 dun. We can't Do use Do they that. live in that big grey circle in the sky? Uh, that's no moon? Yes, they do. The Death Star. Some of them. But it's... You know what? What? <laughs> this is probably not interesting to our listeners. It's not interesting to me. Okay, don't be mean. <laughs> um, hi, Jake. Hello, James. How have you, how's your last few days been? What have you been up to? Um, not loads, just like seeing midsummer stuff. Um, yeah, theatre and galleries and the like and so forth. Um, which has been nice. Like, I've seen a couple of shows with pals, which is a lie. I guess I've run, it, like, run into some. I haven't really gone to them that way. <laughs> so you've been going alone and running into people there? <laughs> Sort of. Um, but I'll get into it when I start talking about the show specifically. Oh my but, God, you but somehow too, like amongst all of that, I've had a lot of phone calls with people late, like lately. This morning I was helping a person with their script. It's been like, yes, considering like the amount of time that outside of theatres I've been spending by myself, it's felt like quite social the last few days. Oh, that's nice. So yeah, that's something. Yeah, what about you? Uh, I yeah, look the same. I've just been seeing Midsummer stuff and I've been working. I've been going to going to clock in and uh, work away and slave away at my little desk and then clock out. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what I've been doing. And then I sort of like... Much uh, like a Dolly Parton song. Yeah, 9 to 5, except my usual hours are like 7.30 to 4 o'clock. Oh, so. good. Then there's no overlap. I imagine you won't be able to relate to any of the content of that classic. Go on. Working 7.30 to 4. Mm-hmm. It still sort of works. Yeah, that song was largely just about the rigidity of time. I think it was about, like, office life, James. I think you're right, James. Yeah, so maybe catch up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. You're the idiot. Yeah, good. Yeah. Way to show me. Did you listen to much of her new album? Uh, no. I know. I figured that, like, some of the songs have popped up on my Spotify Weekly. Mm. Uh, Discover Weekly. Um, and I, I sort of listened, like, I listened to Bygones. Is that on her new album? I'm not sure. Let bygones be bygones. That's one. <laughs> um, Is that a new... rock star album? Is that what that was I on? I think so, yeah. Yeah. What's her new album? 
Um, it's called Rockstar. Yeah. Oh, well then, yeah. I don't know. The first song opens with like this pretend conversation that's like garbly and sounds like it's from the past and it's about her parents. Like It's the voices of her parents being like, that dumb bitch of ours, that <laughs> daughter, she she keeps playing the guitar. There's no future in playing guitar. And then oh. she is like, but I'm Dolly Parton. I'm <laughs> going to show them that I can be a rock star. Oh, I, no, I think I have heard that, that bit in particular because I remember hearing her go, and I'm going to be a rock star. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah, like yeah. Dolly Parton a lot. Let's talk about Dolly. Someone should make a playlist of all of those songs that are just like put on albums to like add to energy. Like there's bits that are just like, you know, some people put those interludes between songs where it's just like, yeah, here's a little bit of a weird story conversation thing in between track six and track seven. Yes. Yeah, they're like always, on, they're very big on CDs, I think. Yeah? Yeah, for some reason, because there was like more of the mystery of the journey of a CD. You couldn't really skip around that much. Whereas okay. with Spotify and streaming, you can just skip the songs. So I always find it weird when they put them in because I find them annoying. I also do. It's like I want to get to the song. Yeah, or like, like have it be a part of the song, like work it into the song. But even that, the part of the reason that I barely listened to Adele's new album is because there's just too much of her like talking about things. The only regret I have <laughs> is that I wish I'd come at a different time. That was um, at the end of Flynn Knows That Entire, my partner of, of nearly three years. Oh, congratulations. Thank you so much. Oh. Getting it out of the way now. Mm. We met recently, but it feels like three years. Uh, and he knows that entire monologue in one of those songs. He, he quotes it word for word. It's really funny. He does a really good British accent for it and everything. Oh, so great. I appreciate that one for that reason. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, hang on to him. He sounds like a real catch if he knows that. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, so what would you give your last chunk of Midsummer Time out of five stars? Oh, okay. Out of five stars, I would give it... Seven, because that is how many hours I spent sitting watching The Inheritance. God, okay, sure. Yeah, sure. What about you, Jake? Um, um, let's give it eight stars because I feel like that's probably the amount of strangers that I've had prolonged conversations with lately because of midsummer reasons, mm. which mm. I think is like a, I don't know, for me at least, a formidable number. Can I change mine? I'm going to say nine because it's uh, how many hours I spent watching The Inheritance plus two because you just one upped me. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, this part of the show is about winning. So yeah. And congratulations. I'm gunst to win. You're gunst to win. Yeah. Okay, well, congratulations. Thank you um, so much. Let's talk about some theatre. <laughs> let's talk about some theater. All right, let's yeah. let's midsummerize. Let's midsummerize, baby. Hello, James. Hi, Jake. Hi, I went to Hotstaffer. My name is not short for Jake Stefani. Jake Stefani. Oh God. <laughs> um, hello. I I went to Hot Summer Nights. Ooh. <laughs> You're a born conversationalist. Yeah, Hot go on. I'm um, at Gasworks, which I really like because every time I go to Gasworks, I get to go on that fun little coastal walk. Like, oh, you it's walk... beautiful out there, isn't oh it? Oh my god! Yeah, just like walk down the beach on the way to the theatre. It's like what a what a fun beachy life that I gorgeous sort place. of living. Um, was it the indoor space? Or was it the outdoor space? Indoor, ah. which was surprising because I think you went to Hot Summer Nights last year, didn't I you? I did, and they were in the outdoor like garden park, like whatever. What is that space called? The I don't the, know. The outside. <laughs> we don't go there. It's an old often. Gaelic word. Outside. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was in the out, like they had set up this whole space, and I'm wondering how much of that was for like COVID. COVID. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, I was expecting to have to be outside because of how vividly you described it last year, and then yeah. when, the, when the lovely box office people were like, "It's just in that door there," I was like, "Door? What? <laughs> Hang on! How exciting! Yeah, super exciting!" But yeah, no. So went walked along the beach. Were you alone? Some... Of course, I was alone. Alone at the circus, <laughs> devastating. <laughs> A sexy circus. I love, I just, I'm excited to hear about this because I really, really loved Hot Summer Nights last year. Uh -huh. So I want to hear about it from this year. Okay, great. Yeah, because I don't know, because apparently it's different. 
I mean, based on like what we've briefly spoken about in like life, I was like, oh, oh sure. was it like this last year? And you were like, different people. Yeah, it looks like that that performer you posted wasn't there last year, so I assume they've got a different lineup this time. Yeah, but as it was last year, hosted by Tash York. Love Tash York. Yes, who I'd never experienced before, but even when I was like potentially going to this sexy circus with a person, mm. they were like, oh, I wish I could because I love Tash York. So I don't know. Tash York's great. Tash York is like this incredible energy of hosting and just like this incredible voice and charisma and talent. And he's also really lovely. Great. Yeah. That's all good to know. All good to know. Yeah, because I'm very much aboard, yeah, the fandom train. Because my goodness, mm. there was such like, on top of all the things you're saying, like, oh, like the beauty and the charisma on top too, just like the personality that came through in terms mm. of her like emceeing this sexy circus yeah. was just like, uh, there's such a beautiful level of like, charm and professionalism and talent mm. with a lot of like self-deprecation and a, a lot of like I don't know yeah. a lot of like fun whimsical comfort with their perceived like flaws and stuff for some reason that was the thing that left out at me in terms of like oh what an interesting sort of like rounded delightful personality I think she's really good at walking that line of like self-depreciation but like not to the point of look I'm pity me because I'm so bad at everything mm. it's like this wonderful line of I'm on your, I'm with you guys. It really brings her down to your level because she is better. <laughs> she just is better. <laughs> um, I was because <laughs> you're garbage. I know that. Okay, Thank good. you. I was like a third person to go into the theater because of enthusiasm. Um, and I, I was of course always have to be tactical. I wanted to be fronty, but I didn't want to be the front. Oh God, that's no. asking for trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My goodness, which I was grateful for because like microphones started get like started getting pointed in people's faces and I was like oh I want no part of that so where did you go I went <laughs> walked the whole way across the front of the stage because as I learned from Jasmine you don't want to be on the side of the audience bank that people are going to be trying to get through so I went around the front went up two like rows of seats sat mm-hmm. on the very end of that side so no one would need to part like walk past me oh because there's one the... entrance isn't there yes yeah, god you're yes. smart it didn't work a bunch of <laughs> women had to <laughs> decided that they really liked the succulent look of the seats to my right and then had to you know trample me but, <laughs> but you know you <laughs> Tried. I did what I thing. could. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. And the show started. Tash York proved to immediately be like so dazzling. Mm. Um, and you're right. Such a wonderful singing voice mm. as well. Mm. And then the show started. So it was just like a. It was like four, four, four performers and Tash York doing like sexy circus nonsense. Oh great. And yeah, yeah. So it was good. I said some standout moments were Bead Nash. Um, was one of the performers and I really enjoyed he did like the, the I'd say for me the, the more memorable thing that he did a number of really impressive things one of them was like he hula hooped real good oh <laughs> my god yeah hula hooping is impressive see I never find hula hooping that impressive but it was it was truly about and this really was like a, oh, was it five performers I can't count can I one two four well, let's say no four you one can't count <laughs> <laughs> there was four of them, um, but yeah, it was some. It was truly something about his personality. It was mm. like, yeah, and it, as it connected with the rest of the show, like it was, it was great because one of the things that came through was the idea of these these performers having real distinct, what felt like distinct personalities coming through and it made mm. you connect to something because I've certainly found, and it's a thing that I really especially noticed when reflecting on this circus experience was like, I think the things that leap out to me at circuses, which we've talked about a number of times, but Sir I think. Kai? So I think it's just circuses, okay. but I'm open to being corrected. Uh, is the sense that there needs to be something else going on beyond just like, oh, you're, you're, you're really good at flips. Mm. Um, that needs to be like, I, I need to get to a point where I feel like I've at least got some grasp of who you are as a person. I think it's, yeah. it's I, I guess it's to do with the way that I ingest theatre and a lot of other people do as well, of the thing of like, there needs to be some sort of human connection because otherwise I'm not... Unless I'm not you're a, just a robot doing tricks. And I'm not an expert in like the difficulty required to like balance on a disc atop a, like a pole. Now that's a real thing, isn't it? When you're watching something like that, if they make it, if it looks effortless, it looks easy. 
Mm. And it's so hard to tell when a trick is impressive sometimes. Sure, you get numb so fast. If Yeah, exactly. Un- unless they have like a personality to sort of prop it up. Yeah, and that's the thing with Bede. It was like, oh, this guy seems so sweet. And just like, <laughs> I just enjoyed, yeah, watching him be a person. And then on top of that, he's also doing funny hula hoop stuff. It's like, oh, great. <laughs> okay, so the hula hooping and the tricks came last for Jack. <laughs> a little bit. But, yeah, I don't, but again, like I don't care about hula hoops. Um, <laughs> But he made me care. Like if that trip, like if his trick had gone terribly and he'd caught fire, I would have been like, no. Not bead! <laughs> but only because of his personality, not because he exists as a person. I care regardless. Uh-huh. But it would be heightened. <laughs> <laughs> I always think about your... The biggest thing I can think about with you in relationship to circus is when we saw 1806 and you fell in love with the two tumbling... The men. two Italian guys on the seesaw! Yes, because they were so... F- because they were so... Sorry, just the way you said that's really fucking stupid. Um, they're such good friends and they have such a good relationship with each other that they're able to just throw each other around and not worry. Oh, and they remember that really so made you cry. It was really, really, really upsetting. Yes, there were five performers, I've now realised. In this show. <laughs> yes, Great. while talking to you, I couldn't count in my memory One correctly. of them was an invisibility act. God. Um, another thing that happened was Alicia Mannion did this thing that I don't think I've ever seen in real life before. Um, the thing where you have like this, you know, when you toast a marshmallow in the fire, (laughs) I'm familiar with that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, those things that look like that, like they have a stick and then they have a big bulb on the end and you like the juggling torches. Yeah. And you like them on fire. Yeah. That. So she had those things. Great. And then like run them up and down her body. Oh yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Like, yeah. And like her like arms and legs and stuff would catch fire briefly. Yes, yeah. And then she'd like put the fire out in her mouth and then start it again from her mouth and she'd yeah. look kind of like a dragon. Did she have red hair? I think. Yeah, she did. Oh, I think I may have seen her, not sure if it was her, maybe it was another redhead fire twirler at Ruben K's K-hole last year. Oh, cool. Sorry, carry on. I sure. That, that trick is, it's primal to watch, isn't it? It makes you, like, a bit of caveman goes... Ooh, fire on body? No. <laughs> I feel like my reflections on it were a bit more developed than that. <laughs> Go but on, sure, let's if, that's, if the prehistoric portion of your mind was activated by it, that's great for you, James. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, honestly, we're, and I think this was part of what like illuminated for me like where my mind tends to go in these types of like circus moments. Whereas like, with it being so... And fire is just like one of those things that's like, it's like water. It's like air. It's like all these elemental things are just so richly provocative of things. Sure. And I don't know. Where my mind decided to go was like, <laughs> watching her do this somehow felt like... And the way that she was like so powerful in her body and her like fire magic that she was doing it somehow forced me into this parallel moment of like it's kind of like the first time that you take your clothes off for somebody for like sexual undertakings like there was something so sort of like and it was hot summer nights like it was meant to be kind of like a flirty and sexy circus and it was like and so that was kind of like inherent in her performance style as well and so this sense of like walking up and down wearing clothes to nothing running fire up and down your body doing these tricks with your mouth and it being Mm. so hot it's Mm. like it felt like look at me, look how sexy I am and look how powerful I am and that sex appeal. And it just felt oh. like, yeah, undressing for the first time and like showing somebody like what you have to offer and the things that you can do and the things you want to do to them. Oh my like, God, that's, Jake. That was just kind of where my mind that's went. Hot. It was great. Could you like feel the heat from the flames? Or no, was no, no, I'd also no, say, okay, no, okay. My, my position was a safe one too. <laughs> yeah, because you're lame. I'm not lame, but no, not, no. But also it was all for naught, my attempt to be safe in my seat choice because then Ezra Mishka does this like performance of like, he's a cat and there's all these like, funny song choices based on cat punnery and songs with cats in them and memory gets featured. Um, and then, yeah, while walking past me in the oh. seat, in the fucking, like, the, the stairs up the side of the Sydney bank, I got licked on the face. Oh. Which is... Why are you making that face? It's just such an interesting move to lick someone on the face. Well, he's a cat, you see. No, I get it, but also, like... What's wrong, James? Imagine mm-hmm. trying to lick someone on the face a year ago. Sure. <laughs> you know, it's like, 
you would have been shot and put to jail. Well, people as enchanting as me have to walk around prepared to be licked at all times. I have nothing to say to that. People want to taste. Stop it. What? <laughs> Yuck. What? <laughs> you, no. What? You know what, Jake? You what? are a handsome man. No, shut up. Don't, no. don't lie no, to people. No, you're gorgeous. No, no. But then, flash to the end of the show, though. I walk out, and then the, the, I'm going to go back you into the show. You start to break there's out more in stuff, There's more stuff to talk about about the show. But I need to cut to the end of it, because then I was walking out, walking past. Tash York was out the, outside near the door handing out pamphlets to her show. Mm. And then, when she gave the pamphlet to me, she kind of had this like, giggly smirk on her face, and it's like, what's going on, Tash York? Oh. I don't know what's happening. It's like, okay, that was odd, but I'll just keep walking. I walk down to the beach, and then it's not until I catch my reflection in like a, like a window thing. It's like, oh. oh my god, that man's lick to my face has left like some sort of like stage makeup smeared right up my goddamn <laughs> face. So that's what Tash York was laughing that's at. That's really funny. And now all of these goddamn St. Kilda people think that I'm a buffoon. Oh no, not the people in St. Kilda. Yes, <laughs> and my stellar reputation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ruined. Ruined. <laughs> um, oh, that's funny. So you, even though you tried to hide, they literally licked you on the face. Yes, which is just a lesson about theatre not being safe for everybody. We should stop it. <laughs> God, yeah, especially the queers. Um, Tro was also there. Oh, yeah. Like every, oh yeah, yeah. Every time I bring up this man when talking about circus, people are always very familiar with the things that he does. Tro, yeah, Tro's like a fabulous, fabulous. And I think um, one of the things that they are known for is they work with Art Simone on a few of her projects. Oh, cool. Um, Which is a drag person, right? Drag person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're a really, really good drag person mm-hmm. in uh, Melbourne. And Tro, yeah, um does work with them and also it's just like a very attractive circus person that everyone knows from Instagram sure sure Lutra, well Lutra. I guess then therefore like perfectly suited to our oh, oh absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. Um, the two sort of like notable trapeze performances that happened in the show were both just sad songs Ooh. which I just think is like a fun trend and also like Sexy sad is a very unique type of sexy to bring to the stage. Jacqueline Fury as well. I just want to point out, did the thing... Sorry, what did you say? Jacqueline Fury? Jacqueline Fury? Jacqueline. Jacqueline Fury? Oh, Jacqueline Fury. Is that is that how you meant to pronounce it? I don't know. Jacqueline. Yeah, I just the way you said it sounded like Jacqueline. Maybe maybe it's just a lack of confidence because it's a fancy name and I'm a simple guy, you know? <laughs> Simple's a word. Jacqueline. Jacqueline Fury. Yeah, gorgeous. Um, are you familiar with this person? Not at all, no. Oh, sure. Yeah, I wasn't either. I don't think... But then, yeah, they're so they're, everyone in this cast was so talented. It was really, really great to watch. Mm. One of the standout moments was that you did that thing where you like hold like a metal grinder up against like oh. a metal underpants that you're wearing, oh. and it, like sparks sparks out. Yeah, that's. Pr- I mean, that's that's pretty something, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's super duper something. And I also like the way that it's just like the transportation of a thing that happens naturally in like mechanic like shops. Mm. Like mechanic workshops. But because you've turned it into like underpants and it's happening on a stage, it's like, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> How is this wheel? Yeah. Yeah. Do the sparks go out into the audience? Uh, no, we were safe. Uh, <laughs> that's fun. Yeah. Um, indoors as well. Mmm. Oh my god. Yeah. It was cutting edge theatre. Cutting. Oh, stop it. What? Because it was a grinder. It was like okay. a cutting edge. It was a cutting edge. I was. Oh! Jake. Oh, Jake. No, no. You know I'm not a pun man. I'm not a fun man. Oh fuck you! I was about to say that. Yes. Yeah. Um. <laughs> okay, that sounds fun. Yep. Yeah. Um. And I will also say one thing that I feel like I never ever get to say, but wish I could say more often. The audience was exactly they they precisely expressed the enthusiasm that I felt for things in an accurate way. Okay. It was like 
their response was absolutely equal to how I felt about everything that happened. Oh, what a special, unique situation. Yes, which is never the case. And when I went to see Hot Summer Nights last year, because it was outdoors, mm. there was seemed to be very much this idea of... A lot of wolves around. A lot of wolves around. Yes. In, yeah, we were baying for blood. No, um, like the noise you would make would get lost in the, in the space. Sure. And sometimes I think people were quite sort of nervous about making noise because of that reason. So it took a bit more to whip the crowd into a frenzy. So it's nice to hear that people were loud and in, in charge mm. and it was great and it meant that I, d- I was never like mad at them for responding wrong <laughs> you know that sad rage that sometimes you feel I do but I don't think an audience can respond wrong you, but you've you've expressed moments where that's happened before yeah, but I, I feel like I, it often happens at the movies which is one of the worst things about going to the cinema yeah true people is people just disappointing you with the things that they react to and how they react Sure, it's also like when people, yeah, yeah, in shows when people laugh. It shouldn't make you mad. I feel like this is a mental illness I have. I feel like it shouldn't cause me to feel anything. Well, it yes. does. Yeah. <laughs> no, I th- I'm glad you've gotten on to that. Yeah. But also, <laughs> it, as you've said, it does to me. I've just forgotten. Yeah. I, have a really, I have a really bad memory. Oh, sure. Yeah, so it's gone. So you forget all the times you've been riled up about nonsense. You know how many times I've said that I hate people and things on this show and then just the next episode forgotten that? Yeah, it's like, oh, no public apology. Oh, I love that person. Yeah, what about them? Yeah, no, no idea. No idea. So so if I have said that in the past, as we say at the end of the show, I may already disagree with that. (laughs) Or you still agree but have forgotten that you said it. And eventually we'll rediscover and and hate it again. (laughs) Okay, great. Any more questions about the sexy circus? Um, was there an interval? Uh, no, no, it was just a pound through. Which pound is great. through. Pound through. We love a pound through, mm-hmm. especially at a hot summer night. Mm. Oh, oh, oh my! <laughs> oh my, that's hot, <laughs> and that's summer. Hello, James. Oh, Jake, you scared Hi. me. <laughs> Hi. Just because of your appearance. Thank you, Jake. I went to Theatre Works. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> drink that fact in. Don't care, didn't ask. Carry on. <laughs> I went to see On the Uncertainty of Signs. <laughs> Is it meant to have a question mark at the end? No, I just have no confidence. <laughs> On the Uncertainty of Signs. There we go. You sound better. By Willing. Willing Willing is the name of the artist Oh cool Yes Um, And uh, it's original songs And uh, spoken stuff in between the songs The words cabaret (laughs) Come to mind (laughs) Great Um, uh, And yes So went went inside Walked into the Theatre Works Theatre And then they did the thing that they sometimes do When it's like a cabaret vibe thing Where it's like the seating bank But then in front of the seating bank There's a bunch of tables at the front Oh yeah 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 Like little circular tables with candles on them For you to sit in The worst situation to spill a drink in Absolutely true. Yeah. Yes. So of course, avoided that, and I went and sat in like the real front row of the seating bank. Oh. But as I went to do that, these two like these two gay men were sort of about to sort of sit down near me, and then they kind of instigated this conversation with that they pulled me into mm. with their delightfulness of being like, "Should we go sit on a table?" And I was like, "Sir, absolutely not." But he was like, "No, let's go do it." And then he got swept up in his enthusiasm, what? and so the three of us ended up sitting on this table together near, like, literally, like the front of this, like where the state like I could not have been closer to willing I sat, I sat in one of those when I saw a show there um, a while ago I know, um, ex- I know exactly what you meant at, at Theatre Works and you did that on purpose yeah I went to my housemate Imogen we went to see uh, oh god it was that show where they had banned music and it was all about like oh yeah yeah what was that show called and it was like post in it yeah yeah yes. yeah yeah, yeah. Yes. anywho and it was um, kind of cabaret like cabaret with yes, a capital like cabaret and it was sort of like music's been banned and we're gonna music's, music's now we're all numbers and stuff. <laughs> it was you know, good. It, was, it sounds like I hated it. I loved it. Um, but we sat on one of those front tables and 
someone near us has spilled their drink oh, well, on so those on those on those tables. So sure. I know exactly well, I'm no klutz. But so you were I... swept up into the enthusiasm of two random people you don't know. Yes, there were these men in sort of I want to say like their mid to late forties, and they were just like they took me under their wing, Aww. and then we went and sat on this table together. That's community. Yeah, yeah, that's really nice. That's community. Yeah, so we started talking about stuff. We learned things about each other. What it so lately has been coming up whenever I talk to like older gay men, and it's always for the most part in either like a like a. I guess this isn't uncommon in like a bar setting or like a theater setting. And they, I always come out of it with them giving me the advice of like, Jake, you're not going to enough social events. You need to go to more parties and dance clubs. Oh. And it's, <laughs> why is that your reaction? Mm, yuck, yuck, yuck. But it's the thing they keep insisting. They must be right. They're older than me. They must have wisdom. But yeah, when I explain to them, it's like, no, I have all of these weird social phobias and I don't know how to behave around these things. They're like, no, Jake, you've got to go. You'll have a great time. So I don't know. Maybe one of these days I'm going to take up this wisdom and actually follow through with it. But maybe we should do a praise Dionysus take the club. <laughs> Praise Dionysus on the town. Well, Praise Dionysus fun. nights. Yes. We could do yes. that. We could and we could record like the morning after. <laughs> that could be kind of Or funny. throughout the night. Yeah. <laughs> terrible terrible idea. Idea. <laughs> <laughs> I was really getting into it. We go, right, ter- terrible idea. Um, so tell me about this show that you saw all the conversation with the two gay men. That is smart. Sure. <laughs> I'll get to where the show begins. But yeah, we're sitting there, then the show starts. And so the willing comes out. Um, and so it's like him in the center, standing on this little platform with his microphone. And then either side of him, like, we're going to use my orientation, which is gay, but also... <laughs> Um, on the left, there is like a bass guitarist, so she's over there, and then on the other side, there's a like a saxophonist who sometimes plays the oboe. One of my favourite words in the world is saxophonist because there's an X sound and a first sound. Yeah, it's just and also just the arrangement of the at o. I think is really funny. Saxophonist. Okay, do you like albatross? Oh, I do like albatross. Interesting. One of the largest. They have the largest wingspan of any bird. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I would assume it was some sort of eagle or something. No, such. no, it's like no, it's like several feet. For the, for the albatross, huge. And they often, they, I think it's albatross. Some of them can stay like up in the air for like over a year without touching the ground. Wowzies. Yeah, because they like just swoop into the ocean and eat. I was watching a new David Attenborough there. Um, Planet Earth 2. And <laughs> no, he just released it. <laughs> I and, believe you. <laughs> whereas the first one was all about like individual landscapes. This one is all about like the different patterns of migration of different animals and how mm-hmm. that affects the world. It's really interesting. And the albatrosses can just never put their feet down for That's a year. Albatross. But there's even just the fact that there's some there, sort there of like a bird weird that beast that. that can do that. Yeah, but albatross does have the largest wingspan. So there you go. Okay, noted. So why were Thank we talking you. about that? Well, that's a wrap on this show, I guess. But yes, so then there's like a, yeah. And so that's the three of them. They are the people that will be performing this show for us. And so yeah, Willing comes out and then explains kind of the premise of what the show is. And it's this thing where it's like he used to, or I guess still does, run a meme page on Instagram. Oh, I love that. And then from, the, the, I don't know, he was doing that for a bit. And then he did this call out one day where he was like tell me your love stories and so he meets up with these five people that follow his meme page that wanted to share their love stories Mm. Um, and uh, yeah and the show is him going through those five stories telling those stories while largely like embodying the person that told the story which is quite sweet oh Um, that's a really nice premise yeah like sits down in the chair kind of embodies them not not to like a Pennsylvania Avenue Avenue by Joanna Murray Smith extent but to the point where he's like he's adopting some of their characteristics enough mm-hmm. to kind of like get the sketch of what this person is like mm-hmm. and yeah and speaking in a in an altered language and yeah it feels a bit verbatim theatery but it's yeah it's it's watching him tell their stories as some version of them oh, and then lovely. yeah and then around these stories he also like sings original music that he's constructed kind of inspired by the stories that he was told by these people oh my god that sounds fantastic yeah that sounds really fun i love that yeah why do you love that i i just it's sort of... <laughs> is it bad that the first thing I go to when I hear that is ghost story? 
Ghost Story, what? Like 222? The, the play that I saw at the Athenaeum. Oh, oh, yeah. It was all about like this guy coming out, telling like this professor on ghosts, of mm-hmm. course, coming out and telling us, here I'm going to present to you three ghost stories told uh-huh. by different people. And they like each get told by different people and it's sort of like just presented as like vignettes for the, to, to have scary things happen. In the... And then there was a monster in the bush. We can't talk about it <laughs> because the writers said that you shouldn't spoil any of it. There might have been a monster in the bush. <laughs> Shut up, Jake. <laughs> there was a scary doll. Let's stop talking! <laughs> We're in trouble with the ghosts! <laughs> um, it reminds me of that, and it also reminds me of um, that show where that guy, you, you told me about, where that guy has like his Facebook, and he just goes through and like, goes through and picks people out from his Facebook friends list and decides whether or not he's going to unfriend them. Oh, Cull. Cull, yeah. yeah. For some reason it gives me like a, those sort of vibes, just like, and especially because it came from a meme page. Mm. I don't know why, but I love people who make meme pages creating art. <laughs> I, I, there's something in that that I find very unique and interesting. Art beyond the meme page itself. Yes, yes. Okay. Because I find, like, I used to run a meme page. It's, it's still around. It's just haven't uploaded it in ages. It's out there if you want. Um, and where was that passion birthed from? Because Willing explained why he was sort of, like, taken by the idea of running a meme page. Why Ooh. did you? Okay, I want to hear that. So I want um, So I did it because, first of all, it started because I just was saving a lot of memes onto my phone that I thought were funny. And I just wanted a place to share them, mostly just for me. So I sort of like made the meme page and then I started sharing the memes that I just wanted to go back and see. Um, and it's the same reason I have Instagram in general, so that I can like go back and look at my own stories as like a sort of mood board more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then just people sort of liked the memes that I was posting, and that was just an added bonus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why did so? What was Willing's reason? Um, his housemates were doing it as well, and he <laughs> just also wanted to, and also he admits that he wasn't in a great headspace, and that's part oh. of what. Yeah, so I was wondering if that was the case for you as well. It definitely helped to sort of like just get some joy and fun out there, mm. which was sort of like I guess a mental health thing. But no, I didn't really do it for that reason. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Um. <laughs> I should mention that I, despite never ever wanting this to happen, got included in the show a number of times. Oh, because uh, you were sitting in the front? I was in the front, and yes, which, yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, I blame my new friends for this. But yeah, so I was, yeah, towards the front, and then Willing needed help explaining what a meme page was. Which... Uh, so he went to you. Yeah, well, yeah, it was a very... Before I could, you know, fake a seizure, there was a microphone in my mouth, and then I, yeah, had to explain what that was. What did you say? I, uh, oh, I forget. It was something about, like, it's a... Like a cyber scrapbook curated by a person with a unified vision intended to make people laugh or something. It was some sort of, like, Jeez. definition of what I understand a meme page to be. But then, yeah, it then returned to me for definitions of other things as, as well. By the end of the show, I was being referred to as the Macquarie Dictionary, which was... I want to choose to believe it was a sweet thing to say. That is a sweet thing. Sure. I think it's because you just have a very naturally foreign way of speaking. <laughs> sure. And you sure. use a lot of fantastic, wonderful sure. words. Okay, sure, sure. Well, I'm glad I didn't disrupt the show. Stop clamming up. <laughs> Stop trying to act like you're an idiot. <laughs> you're very smart. Sure. Thank you, James. But it was, it was nice to not, not feel like I caused the show to grind to a halt being terrible at an audience thing. It was nice. It, it was is good. amazing hearing your insecurities just pour out of you like that. Sure. But yeah, no, but yeah, I'm glad I didn't fuck it all up because that's one of my fears with being involved yeah. in a show. Well, um, exactly. But yeah, yeah, no, but I got laughs. People afterwards said I was funny. So I was like, oh good, I didn't ruin oh, this. that's really nice. <laughs> that was nice. I imagine you would have added to it because again, you are a very theatrical person. Sure, that is kind. 
signed. But yes. No, anyway, this, this isn't about me. <laughs> so I'm the star of that show. Oh. Also, just a quick sidebar. Willing, mm. Is Willing their actual name? Or their uh, performer's I name? I believe his, name, his name's Will. Oh, sure, sure. Because Willing is a terrific performing name. Yeah. Yeah, I'm Willing. Um, in terms of like the details of the stories that get told themselves, I, I don't want to like spoil any of them because I think this show is really wonderful. And mm. I think if people yeah want to go see it, I don't want to like spoil any of like the turns and the narratives themselves. Yeah. Especially too, it also like like oddly doesn't feel like my place to I don't know give like third voice to uh, stories that are already in another person's like hands and mouth. Yeah, sure, it does become a copy of a copy of a copy. Sure, <laughs> but I guess just something in terms of like it's their love stories, like as is really evidenced by like Willing's the way he tells the stories and the way that he presents them and delivers them. Like he's treating them with such sanctity and reverence. Like I don't mm. know, it feels somehow trampoly for me to then be like, okay, here's my summary of this person's yes. heartbreak. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's really yeah, that's really somehow. Cool. Um, just to quickly comment on uh, the musicians, super duper talented, really really great at what they were doing, especially like these moments of like saxophone solo that we got. Saxophonist. The saxophonist had several saxophone solos. Moments of saxophony. Yep, and they were breathtaking. It was great. And uh, yeah, Willing's voice, really lovely, especially when it got into like this like operatic, almost like musical theatre register. Oh. It was really great when he's like his voice tipped over that edge and then turned into that that style of singing. I thought was my favourite vocal moments happened oh, in, that, in that area of his voice. Mm. Um, yeah. That, in one of the stories, it was like a moment, just to extract it from the story itself, was that... Do you have that thing where it's like when you're in the... I know that now you're like three years deep into a relationship that you have, you have lukewarm feelings about. Yeah. But with have you... Do you have like a reputation for when dealing with love and the beginnings of love even, or even like, I don't know, the throes of it, where you're relying on signs to tell you whether or not it's right or wrong? Ooh. Uh, I think my relationship at the moment is unique to me in that... I, there was never a moment of any... I never needed any guidance. It was always just like, oh, this is what that is. I'm in love that from, like, the day one. Oh, sure. And then based on that story you told, I think it was the last episode, that, like, tarot card thing. Yeah. Beyond that, it's just confirmation bias. Confirmation by, like, every single thing that ever happened. Yeah. Okay. So I don't, I don't think I ever really was looking for signs, but the signs were still thrust upon me, yeah, in that mm. point. Um, okay. Yeah, and then before that, I don't think I've ever, ever really been in actual love. So, <laughs> in, in reflection. So... No, is my answer. I don't think I've ever been sort of looking for signs. What about you? Sure. I feel like you're someone that loves loves signs and, <laughs> and, and looking for them. I think for the last little while, I've certainly like had an eye on and something about the idea of like, and I don't think it's coming from a pathetic place inside of me. Like, I don't think it's built on any type of delusion. I don't no, think. I think I, steadfast, I steadfastly believe that. <laughs> um, but yeah, the idea that people have been talking about, especially lately in sort of like popular, like mystical culture, <laughs> is the idea of like finding synchronicity and those sorts of things where it's like you notice like the weird recurring like mm. images or symbols or these angel that, numbers. I've never been an angel numbers guy, but. Uh, but you listen to popular mystical. What is it? <sighs> No, this is not meant to be me attacking you. And yet it feels it that way. It did come out that way. <laughs> but I even just like it. finding like what feel like weird like coincidences or just like uh, spiritual alignment-y things that just feel like, okay. You know how some people say that like a coincidence is the universe telling you that you're in the right spot or something. Sure, totally. You know? Like I yeah. don't necessarily believe that as a sentence, but you know, that, that whole thing. I definitely believe that like if you see coincidences that point you in a certain direction, that to me suggests that it's your subconscious trying to tell you things that you want. Sure. So like so if you like see things that you think are coincidental that seem to be stacking up in a certain direction, that feels like it to me is your inner brain saying, 
hey, dipshit, do this, because that's what you want. Mm-hmm. Which I think is its own form of mystical magic stuff. <laughs> sure. Not to sound like I'm pooing on you. Yeah, but it does sound like that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, if you, but if you don't think you were being dismissive and hurtful, let's pretend you weren't. Well, I don't be. think it was dismissive and hurtful. I know. I think it's <laughs> Um, and again, to yank out, uh, like, a, I don't know, what was one of the most potent sort of like, I don't know, upsetting, but like hopeful moments of it was this little idea that occurred in one of the stories where it's like, where you feel like love's lost. And then maybe this isn't as like universal as <laughs> I want it to be in terms of being able to express it and not be too specific for it to be giving stuff away. But this sense of like being able to like go back to a time when you were devastated by love and somehow reassure that version of yourself that things will be okay again. Mm. Something in that. that what, what, what are you saying about that? Do you think that's like? I just think nice? that's beautiful. Yeah. And I think too, it's like as is expressed in the show too. Just even like as a therapeutic technique. Um, even in like, as I said a couple of episodes back, when I spent like New Year's Eve reading um, the, the, the body, body keeps, keeps the score. score. Yeah, and th- th- there's a portion in that where it talks about that trauma therapy, where it's like you envision yourself going back and helping your younger self through something, oh. that type of thing. Yeah. So I don't know. It was just nice to see that. That that was like a resonant moment. I thought um, for me, it sounds beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah There's a lot of beauty in the show, and a lot of like, <laughs> like sentimental without being too like sickly sweet in the mouth there was a moment where it was like one of the gentlemen that I'd gotten to know that had dragged me to this front table um <laughs> sitting with me while Willing was telling one of these stories it was kind Sorry, of front table sounds like a posh old word for vagina oh <laughs> and just dragged me to the front table <laughs> sorry carry on carry so on. I was <laughs> sitting at a cabaret table oh, keep worse. it out of your pants oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> um yeah, yeah. and one what? No. One of the men that I was sitting with that I befriended that evening was during one of the sort of like the emotional climaxes, like towards the kind of like denouement of one of the stories that Willing was telling. <laughs> and it was getting quite schmaltzy. And the man that I was with <laughs> like groaned quite ferociously in this very like, oh, come on, <laughs> kind of way. What, what do you mean? In, in exactly that. It's like if someone's telling you like the plot of the notebook and then the person that you're with is like, oh, gross. <laughs> oh, <laughs> You know, which was interesting to witness. And then Willing was like, oh, (laughs) but this was actually meant to be like kind of like a nice part. And then the, I don't know, this is all very interesting. And the guy that I was with was kind of like, well, listen to yourself, though. It was like, what? But all of this was very like nice. Like none of this was like antagonism. It wasn't heckling by any means. But it was like, and even the way that Willing handled it, it was like, oh, it was just this thing. Like it was interesting to see in real time. And again, this was like coming from a like a, a man, like the man beside me that was like, as I said, like mid to late forties. Like he's like lived a life to some extent. Mm. Obviously, like has a romantic past. Yeah. One, I think it's fair to presume. <laughs> and it's like it's. I just it's interesting. Like especially with love, um, to hear the perspective of someone that's experienced more of it, to mm. hear love get talked about and have that type of reaction to it. It's like oh, it, I think you have to assume that. There's wisdom in that. There is something in the idea of like hearing this story about a young person going through heartbreak and believing that love is some type of transformative force and then hearing a man dismiss that as being kind of like hallmarky, overblown, tropey bullshit is is interesting. It's definitely interesting, but it does. I feel like whenever I hear that sort of thing, I'm like, it always comes down to love is different for everyone. Okay. Everyone has different experiences of love Mm -hmm. and nobody has the same experience of love. So I just, I think that man dismissively going, oh, it just feels a bit like, oh, shut up. Like, oh. <laughs> I think, I think, like, I'm glad that it was a nice interaction and not, not, because that could have been quite, quite mean if it was taken the wrong way. But I think, you know, famously everyone has different experiences of love. So let, 
people talk about it and not dismiss it like that. Sure, but that's I don't think the audience member's response was meant to be dismissive. It, it seemed to come out of a very, like, from the same organic place that someone going, ah, would come from. It seemed like it was the, the a sound of someone being like, it's like that, but like the opposite. Like instead of hearing a schmaltzy story and being swept up in the romance, it's hearing a schmaltzy story and being like, well, that is not... <laughs> like viewing love like that is just setting you up to be hurt to an extent that eventuates uh, in you yeah. being legitimately wise and understanding okay. that what you're saying sounds more like a state of unhelpful ecstasy from which you will not make any responsible choices. Yeah, interesting. That is interesting. That, that's interesting discourse to see take place in the theatre. Absolutely, mm. yeah. To be yeah, happening yeah. live and with like a real story and between... That's what? the magic of theatre, baby. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's the magic of Midsummer, baby. Yeah, that's Midsummer magic. <laughs> Midsummer. But oh, those Midsummer. Nice. <laughs> you weren't going to commit to the notes? <laughs> well, I thought you were going to join in. Oh. <laughs> um, and yeah, I guess I'll end sort of like as the show kind of does um, with the, the, this thought that emerged of love being a threshold. So what do you mean by that? That's Well, that's what we're given. Like we're given this sentence um, because a, a person in the artist's life says that to him mm. and says that love is a threshold. Mm. And do you have any immediate responses to that remark? Um, I guess I, in trying to think about what that means, I get like, do, do they mean like love is like a boundary you need to cross by threshold? Is that what they mean? Do you think? What do you think it means? Well, does the sentence in any way like resonate with you and anything you believe about love? Uh, no. It's sort of said in the context of they're about to spend a bunch of time apart and looking toward, like looking forward in the direction of that time they will have to spend separated mm. in reflecting upon that and like try to galvanize the two of them for that experience the person says love is a threshold. I guess maybe I'm just stupid, but I think I'm just struck by I don't know what that means. Okay. <laughs> like, I listen to that and I go, that sounds like a beautiful thing to say, but I just, I just, I just, like, does that mean, yeah, does that mean, like, it's a boundary you need to cross, or do they, do they mean, like, like, once you cross the threshold of being in love, then you're in love and you have to carry it with you? Like, what, what do you think it means? Um, what, what, how does it make you feel? What where I was going to was, like, it, it came to the thing of, limit I think mm. you know like pushing through a threshold I suppose because I know that like what well, typically speaking a threshold is like colloquially referred to just as like a doorway into like a house or something yeah. right crossing the threshold in a wedding night yeah but then a threshold in any sort of other circumstance is like the point at which a boundary buckles yeah right yeah okay yeah I've forgotten that's how it could be used as well right mm. which I, well, I don't know which is where my that's where my mind was sent, <laughs> correctly or not. So I suppose the idea of love being, being that, like even coming from the idea of the thing you were saying, of like everyone has an experience of love, so everyone's threshold will be different. Mm. And and whether or not, yeah, I don't know. So, so everyone's threshold is different. And so love when, I guess you have to, if you're going to try to define it, love can't be the two things in the metaphor. So it's... Why not? I, why not? <laughs> um, so I suppose if love is the threshold... Then you, uh, I don't know. It's maybe we're not meant to know what it means. Maybe that's that would be bad writing. I think if we're not supposed <laughs> to know what it means. Well, love is a confusing and mysterious thing, Jack. And it's also a threshold. <laughs> yes. Um, but but uh, maybe so. I guess maybe a way that a person can characterize love is the limit to which it can be. Put, like love has a limit. You know, like maybe it's about the limitations of love. You know, sure. and the moment that those limits get pushed beyond their means, the love breaks. Yeah, yeah, that's a nice... I mean, that's a way of looking at it. You yeah. know? Sort of like if these two people being apart 
test that threshold to the point where that love can no longer sustain the experience of it, then the love that, is done. That's the threshold. I suppose hmm. doing this podcast is a threshold, Jake, but it's a threshold worth doing. I don't think you've understood the sentiment. No, of... <laughs> no, I don't think so either. Um, but yes, I was grateful to get to see this show for a number of reasons. It was just great to see such like skillful musicianship and I don't know, and just hearing about like I don't know real love over and over again. Like it was mm. nice to be immersed in uh, like like the, the cabaret space is always such a nice one in terms of like the performance energy mm. in an audience with that sort of thing. Um, and uh, even with that level of like microphone in my face trauma, it was just <laughs> it was still a very like sweet space to be in. Yeah. It was just nice to see too like someone treat love with such reverence, even though it's, if some people felt like it was over sentimental and schmaltzy, it was just like it was nice to be around that type of romantic sincerity. Totally. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it certainly like left me wanting to be in love. It's certainly like, and I did not go in feeling that way, but I'd come out and it was just like, yeah, I was immediately like, it felt like it had like softened some stuff inside of me and like undone a few knots or something because yeah, I was like out there. I was like, I was seeing like people on the tram and like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) could you be the one? Maybe you could be the one. Um, Oh, that's lovely, Jay. Yeah, no, sure. But I think it's, I don't know. I think it's the thing too, where it's like after I came back from Confest one year and I was like, oh my God, yeah. So why aren't I just like a dirty hippie and we're just like trading lamps? (laughs) And you're like, oh my God, relax. Like fuck everything. But then it's like, that goes away in like three or four days and you're back to like, capitalism is ruining my life. (laughs) So we'll see how long the love lasts is what you're saying. I think it'll take until the very first even like like I don't know assumed rejection and then I'll be back to you know get it over and done with here on it no thank you James <laughs> okay alright um, anyway yes hello Jack hi James I went to the theatre as well cool that's all. Uh, I went to see parts one and two of The Inheritance at 45 Downstairs. It was smart of you to see both. Thank you, in, in, in that order as well. Ah! Um, turns out you can buy tickets to like one day if you want. There's like like a... Oh, was this you answering a question I asked you days ago? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great. So, but we didn't. We went and saw it on two separate nights. Who did? I went with Flynn, my partner. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, which is quite nice. Mm. Uh, we... Um, yeah, went along, wandered on in. Yes, yes. Move, I'm wonder. Move, I'm wonder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so we walk into the um, 45 downstairs space. Yes. Uh, and it's it's there's this one big bank of seating facing the stage, and then on either side of it are two smaller banks of seating angled towards the stage. Yes. Uh, and between those banks are two little aisles for the the actors to walk through to get to the stage. And on stage, but in front of those, you know, we have 45 downstairs has those beautiful industrial windows. Yes. The, all the panels of them are co- uh, covered with like, what I, I guess was like, not cellophane, but like uh, crepe paper sort of stuff. Or like okay. just big solid block colours of like primary colours, so like red, yellow and blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in front of it, was on the floor, was this enormous bed. It was this like two steps up to this large platform, on top of which was this large... I am so bad at judging distances. Like, meters, this room could be anywhere between 20 and 5 meters, I could not tell you. And the listener can't see the room you're describing. Yes, so, so, so who knows? <laughs> uh, we, we could, could be, be in a cave! <laughs> okay, we have different ideas and that's fine. Uh, so, the bed, like, I, I would say, like, 3 meters by 3 meters, like, the mattress, quote-unquote, on top of this thing. Was it a square? It was a big square. Big right. square. So, and then behind that, I'm just, I don't know why I'm diving into the set, but I feel like I need to get it out of the way. Uh-huh. Um, and on that note, Bethany J. Fellows did the set. Sure. And did a great job of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's behind the bed is the, uh, it, it, the bed head is like this large, 
like stepped raised podium sort of platform something that you would sort of see like athletes standing on at the end of like a big event like the big like, like the medal podium yeah like yeah. like so steepled down that people could actually walk up on and use as like a little miniature stage behind the bed so you've got the main stage you've got the bed platform and then you've got the steps platform behind that so there's layers going on mm-hmm. and on top of all this uh, on, on the wall behind the bed is this uh, Greek ancient Greek style painting of three men two of which are sort of kissing and one of which seems to be engaging in a fight with someone else um, and that's what we walk in and see and we sit on down and the show begins I need to get it out of the way this play annihilated me uh-huh this play devastated me in a way that I've not experienced ever Okay. I walked out of this show, part two. Uh, Flynn and I, we were meant to stay and sort of congratulate the actors because we loved the show. Spoilers, loved it. Um, we were meant to stay and to congratulate the cast, but we both looked at each other and had to leave immediately because we could not physically stop ourselves from crying. Mm-hmm. And we were on the street, openly weeping for about 10 minutes. Weak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I felt like this uncontrollable, like, racking, heaving, sobbing urge to cry. Could you tell where that was coming from? Uh, I'll, yeah, I will, oh god, yeah. And I will reveal to you in time, but I just wanted to get that out of the way. This show affected me. It was a catharsis I have never felt. But it felt um, cathartic. It was, it was definitely cathartic. It definitely wasn't like, I'm just so sad. It was, life is short and beautiful, we should take advantage of it. Um, you know, that sort of feeling. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so the show is, there is a cast, this cast is huge. It's like maybe 15 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of them are very talented queer performers. Uh, and and I, I, several of whom we know. Mm-hmm. So, tr- uh, trigger warning. Uh, what's the word we use? Full here? disclosure. Full disclosure. <laughs> um, full disclosure. Although, honk honk, trigger warning, shows about AIDS. So, if that's something that might upset you, skip forward, buddy. <laughs> To when they find the cure. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, <laughs> which is part two. <laughs> which is, yeah, part two set in the future. Yes. Um, so Rupert Bevan, uh, as I said last time, we've both seen in a production of Darling Boy. Darling Boy uh, was in this show. Uh, we also know Christian Taylor, who was in this show, worked with Christian in the past, in a bar, not in a show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and Dion Mills, who I've seen in uh, The Amateurs, which was that show about like um, the Black Plague and performers. Uh, and then he was also in uh, Gundog, which I saw at Chapel Off Chapel. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Dion. So Dion was in this as well. Was, was Dion the one that came to town? No, Dion, Dion was the grandpa. The, the oh, okay. crazy old grandpa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, anyone else? I need to sort of get out of the way. No, that's it. Anywho. Uh, yep. So directed by Katan Pitkovsky. Um, and of course, written by Matthew Lopez. Um, the show starts and... Outwalk all of these young, beautiful gay people that then take up their spots on the bed. All of them like writing or reading, all of them with little books in their hands, and they just sort of strike up these beautiful, luxurious poses on the bed, this giant bed. And that's just the pose they take for a while, which was already a gorgeous image to start off with. And then uh, Carl Richmond, who is playing um, Adam, uh, sort of poses the question of what are we going to start with? And they then begin to, in front of us, write down what this story we're watching is going to be. And Dion comes out, sort of, obviously as one of the older people in the cast, is dressed in like this really beautiful grey suit. And starts sort of coaching them on, on what they should be writing and how they should be sort of presenting this story they're trying to create. Uh, and the show, over the course of the two shows, 
is mainly about the um, obviously the lost generation from the AIDS crisis uh, and the, the lost queer elders from that, but it's about the need and the the feeling of the necessity of passing down culture and information of gay history from one to the other uh, and how that is done nowadays. The show is set between the years of 2015 and 2018. So it, it, I had knew nothing going into this. I didn't know when it was going to be set. So it, feel, it felt really weird and unique to see a show set during that time period, uh, especially about like gay people, because it felt very much like a landmark uh, cornerstone of a theatre piece that has really uh, crystallised a lot of gay experience that I haven't seen um, captured like that in like such a clear snapshot um, really well. So that was great. Uh, I'm just going to jump around a little bit and sort of like list a bunch of things that I really loved about the show and, and, and things that I think you, Jake, would also love about this show. All of the scenes are mostly observed by the rest of the gay Greek chorus. So like whenever something is going on on stage and they use the bed as a stage for various other scenes, the gay Greek chorus is sort of sitting on the side and watching. And there's so many scenes where the direction was clearly just for them to be like erotic but don't take up too much attention. So they're just sitting on the side watching these scenes and sort of like smiling at each other and then smiling out at the audience and looking beautiful while this action takes place. And it really just feels like they're being used as scenery, which I just think was really fun. And that story is essentially watching this group of young actors, um, sort of, as the story goes on, led by Carl Richmond as Adam, um, writing their story of what it means to be a gay man in that time period. Uh, and it turns out that Dion is playing uh, E.M. Forster. Do you know who E.M. Forster is? Not very well, no. But, but you've heard of him? Yeah. Okay, because I never had. Mm -hmm. um, and they then draw this really interesting link between E.M. Forster and young gay writers today. And about how E.M. Because E.M. Forster was a, um, a writer who lived in like the early 1900s. And he wrote a, the book Maurice, which was like all about like a, a gay couple in that time period, but it didn't get released until after he died, 60 years later, after he wrote it. Did that get turned into a Hugh Grant movie? It did. Yeah. Yeah, it super did. Um, and I only know all this because I researched it after. Hmm. Um, and there's this really interesting link drawn between his view... Uh, E.M. Forster's, who they call Morgan, because the M stands for Morgan. Morgan's view of what life as a gay man in the early 1900s was and him keeping that hidden versus this young, vibrant group of expressive and free gay men writing about what it is to be gay in the early uh, 2000s and how there's no direct line between them because the AIDS crisis sort of removed this huge chunk of queer culture mm. um, and the sort of need to have those queer elders in our lives that we a lot of us just don't have now. Uh, and... So if, if, as soon as you realise that piece of information that it's E.M. Forster sort of guiding these young gay men, there's a really fun playfulness between Dion and these younger uh, queer performers that is just so warming. It's this like community of, of gay people talking frankly and plainly and openly about the experience of being gay with someone, this sort of man out of time, sort of only just catching up to what it might be to be freely gay and his the way he sort of coaches them as they sort of try and weave this story into more dark and depressive ways because they try and make things more more uh, exciting and um, joyous and sort of 
what their lives could be, whereas the Enforcer will sort of guide them. No, that's not interesting because if everything works out right, then it's not going to be an interesting story. So rather than your character getting everything he wants, what he instead discovers is, and that's how the show works. And all the scenes are sort of um, curtailed and, and edited as we go and we watch it. So the story that we actually watch, the story they sort of write about, is that between Eric Glass, who's played by Charles Purcell, and Toby, T Toby Darling, who's played by Thomas Cantor, uh, and their relationship. So Charles uh, is a, sorry, not Charles, Charles is the actor. Um, Eric is this really beautiful, warm, friendly, and uh, cultured homosexual living in New York City, um, who lives with Toby, who is this erratic, um, eccentric, loud, flamboyant homosexual who lives in New York City, and they both live in New York City, uh, in this fabulous apartment, living this fabulous life with these fabulous gay friends. Um, and so often they are just sitting around with all their gay friends. And I want a circle of friends like that. I just want a circle of gay friends who know about like cultural things and can teach me things and, and I can just be friends with, but I don't really have that. And, and, and watching this show sort of gave me an insight and a window into a world that I think I want. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's even what I brought up with, like, the two gay men that I was sitting with while watching mm. Uncertainty of Signs, was they were, like, talking about the way that they, like, they used to go out lots with their, like, big group of gay pals, um, and they used to go, like, clubbing with them, but then as they've gotten older, all of those friends have sort of dropped away, but mm. I, as I said to them, as you were just saying now, I was like, oh, I wish I had a circle of, like, gay guy pals that I could do that type of thing with, but I've never had that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, well, it's funny you say that, because throughout the, co the course of these two shows, that's what happens, the circle of friends sort of their orbits sort of, um, what's the word, dissolve and they sort of fall away from each other for various reasons. Because this all takes place around um, Trump's election. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the show is, um, there's a lot of really interesting conversations that they all have. And watching the show during the time, uh, I, at, the, at, at first I thought, is this a bit on the nose? Because there's quite a few moments where the circle of friends will just be having these really intense political conversations about what it means to be a gay man in America now. What it means to be gay, full stop. How can you be ethically a gay person and be in a relationship with like someone wealthy, X, Y, Z, all these really intense conversations. But then I realized I have been in circles of friends who have had those conversations. Mm. You know, there's nothing gay men love more than to have ethical high ground conversations. Kissing boys is up there. <laughs> there's nothing gay men love more than highbrow political conversations. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> oh God, yeah, that and porn. Those are the two things. Okay. Um, but you know what I, you know what I'm, yes. And one of those conversations, which I just want to touch on, which I thought was really interesting and in hearing it spoken about like this, was their discussion. They had a discussion, I think it's in the second show. Um, there's this man that comes into the circle of friends. He becomes a um, partner of one of them. And he's the, an older man and he's a Republican. And the, it, it obviously sparks this discourse and debate about like um, America's democracy as a whole because Trump has just become president. And so they have this conversation about America being an animal. And if you can break it down, you like, you know, all the um, supply chains and industries are muscles and X, Y, and Z, but you can also break it down that people are cells. And if people are cells, then what is the immune system? And someone says, well, the immune system's democracy, obviously. And so then they have more of a conversation about that. And then someone brings up the thought of um, Trump being AIDS. And what that means is like AIDS attacks the T cells. And uh, this, this was, a lot of this was delivered by, um, uh, the character Tristan, Javon King, um, who was playing a doctor and a physician. And he sort of breaks it down and describes... And Javon has this really fantastic stage presence and just this incredible diction that made everything feel so refined. And as he sort of goes on and has this, like, 
long form conversation about if if that's what you think, if you think that AIDS is as it is, it's a it's a disease that breaks down T cells, and it's not the AIDS that actually uh, kills people in the end. It's other diseases they contract because it attracts your immune system. Then that's what Trump and that ideology is. It's breaking down the democracy that sort of is meant to be keeping people together and the communities and the histories that are meant to be drawing people together. And it's inviting in all of these other horrible, nasty things that is what's actually going to bring down the country and what's actually going to bring down the communities that these people love is, you know, racism, xenophobia, homophobia, sexism, all of these things. And then hearing um, the character of Henry, who is that older Republican man, um, played by Hunter Persky, hearing him then defend himself and in this really measured and understandable way was, I think, one of the highlights of the show for me in terms of um, Lopez's writing. Because he... There's no way I should have agreed with him, but he starts talking about, you know, what really beat the AIDS crisis was the free market, because the free market drove the drug companies to actually create something that could uh, fight AIDS and something that could actually stand up for people who have AIDS. And then the gay people... Um, reply back and say, but that's only because straight people got AIDS. And it's a bit of back and forth. But eventually, um, uh, Henry comes back and he says, look, I I had to turn inside myself when the AIDS crisis took all my friends from me. And I needed to um, bring myself up by my own bootstraps. And he starts defending why he is Republican and why he does support the party. And he has this, and someone's, I can't remember what they said. They said, why do, do all gay men your age think like you? And his reaction is just this outburst of, there are no gay men my age. Mm. Um, which was just... And the show was full of punctuations like that, of just these brutal reminders that though we're all... There's a lot of gay people living in 2016, 2017, vibing and having a good time, there is this huge gap of knowledge and this huge amount of scared older gay men that don't have the community that should be around them. Sorry to get so bogged down in that one moment, but that just, for me, was really encapsulated a lot of the vibe of this show. So let's talk so about... So are you saying this scared old men? Sorry, I, I just like... Older gay men don't have the community around them that they should because they they were killed by AIDS. Oh, sure, but they're not currently scared. Well, this character, Henry, is... he. he I don't want to give away too much, but he can't form connections like he used to because he's scared. He says... When he has sex and closes his eyes, he can't see anything other than the people who, or his friends who died during AIDS. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, it's so like very much still scared. Yeah. And that's part of the reason that he can't form relationships with people that involves like sexual, um, that, that involves having sex. He can't do it because when he does, he thinks about like his former lover who, who died from AIDS and he thinks about all his friends who died from AIDS. Yep. And, yep, yep, yep. Um, so onto some fun things. Um, let's start with our dear friend Rupert Bevan. Um, Rupert, in a world of these these gay men, Rupert brought this fantastic and highly watchable uh, sort of weird energy that I really, really love. And I, I'm sure you know what I mean. Rupert has this really unique way of... He's got a very comedic way of moving around and a sort of very interesting way of slinking across a stage that I think is so unique to him. Um, and it was... He used it so well. At uh, one point, there's like this quiet scene around... Um, they're at a bar and everyone else is sort of sitting off around the stage um, having drinks. And Rupert is this like just really f- fancy gay waiter. And so he just goes around to all these people and the way he moves across the stage is like a gazelle or something. 
and he sort of offers the drinks to the people and that allows them to sort of then be weird with him. Loved that. Um, he also plays this character at one point that's a faux artist, he calls himself. So the gay circle of friends all come together. Uh, and one of them, I think it's uh, Tristan, is the character. No, not Tristan. It's Jasper, played by Joss McClelland, brings Rupert as um, this artist who calls himself a faux artist, which means that he makes beautiful paintings, but he doesn't believe in what the paintings are saying. So he'll paint a beautiful picture of his grandmother, but his grandmother was a cunt, as he says. And then he'll burn the paintings. And so he says that all like, um, you know, in this undeniably annoying, yeah, sort of voice about his art. And then Henry sort of rips him to shreds and dissects that as this sort of... The truth is, you have this incredible skill to be able to cast a beautiful light onto horrible things, but you just can't deal with the ramifications of the art that you've created, so you have to get rid of it. Um, uh, which was just a really wonderful beat of the show. Otherwise, um, Thomas Cantor as Toby Darling. Unbelievable amount of energy throughout the entire show. You know when you watch someone, and this is like two, three and a half hour shows, basically. So Toby, the character that they play is this, yeah, like I said, this incredibly aloof, like, sort of socialite in New York. And they present themselves as this, like, very interesting, very unique person. Uh, and they write this sort of novel about this character based loosely off them and how interesting they are. And as the show goes on, we sort of watch Toby just spiral and descend as, they, as he, the character, slowly realises that he's none of those things. And that, that he's not as interesting as he's sort of, like presented himself to be and he's now stuck trapped in this life where he can't live up to a lot of the interests that he says that he has and it was this really like it just made me feel I was sitting there watching it and it just sort of made me feel scared because I feel a little bit of that in myself sometimes mm. like I, I feel like I often try and present myself as a lot more interesting and knowledgeable than I really am and I often get caught out in that and I, I there were a lot of like beats and moments of this character Toby falling apart that I I, feel, I felt worried might happen to me. Um, and, I, and it was very, not just relatable, but also recognisable because I've seen a lot of, we know a lot of people that do that, that sort of kick up this big fuss about how amazing they are. But then when the, the you know, push comes to shove, they really don't know what they're talking about. Um, and it was quite scary to watch because the trajectory of the whole show is those two characters, Toby and Eric, sort of as their orbit falls out and they like move away from each other as their relationship just becomes more and more strained. And, and Eric sort of becomes a little more successful whereas Toby sort of falls to the wayside. And I feel like we've seen that trajectory in people in our lives. And so often in this show, there were moments that I, f I felt I recognized the gay men in it. Um, and I don't know, it felt so, it felt, I don't know, I guess not unique, but nice to just see gay men represented in such a varied way. You know what I mean? Enough rambling about like all the fun little bits and bobs, but so the, the actual story that we end up watching, sort of, it, as I've said, it revolves around Toby and Eric mm. and their relationship sort of spiraling a little bit. And Toby sort of... So their relationship does carry us through both parts. Yeah, in, yeah. It's, it, it's definitely the friction between the two of them that sparks most of the conflict in the show. Okay. Um, so as the show goes on... And they are real people. Like, they aren't fabrications constructed of this, like, gay slumber party, are they? Oh, <laughs> cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, you, you've, you, that question is actually answered as the show goes on. So I don't want to spoil anything. Um, but it is very much like, as we go, this story is being written by someone. Um, and that's why it, I really enjoyed, because the whole, every, every, 
as the show is happening, you sort of see these other characters watching and they sort of weigh in and they say what should change and what shouldn't. So it's kind of left, as you're watching it, you're not quite sure who the story is necessarily centred on and you're not sure who is writing the story, which sort of means that you sort of pay a lot of attention to all the characters. Um, and which is really good because it's obviously two shows, it's quite long. You're given a lot of time to really mull on it. So it's like Gossip Girl. It's so it's similar to Gossip Girl, yeah. Mm-hmm. It is, very similar to Gossip Girl. Kiss Kiss. I've never seen Gossip Girl. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I assume it's very similar to Gossip Girl. Because uh-huh. Gossip Girl is like a two-show theatrical piece, right? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, then yeah, it's very similar to Gossip Girl. Ian Forster was also Ian in it. Forster. <laughs> yeah, Charles Dickens. Um, so, so it's... Because you have so long to watch it, you end up becoming really invested in all these characters. Um, which was obviously great. Um, <laughs> That's good. You enjoyed investment. Continue. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, we watch these two and the sort of spiral of their lives as they sort of slowly move away from each other as the two show, shows go on. Yeah. Um, obviously, there might be some spoilers for the first show in this, just to flag it, because I think talking about some of the key parts of the second show will necessitate... Spoiling a few things that happened in the first one. So obviously just skip this if you don't want it to be spoiled. And you should go and see this show if you can. It's fantastic. Um, So Eric and Toby have this fight. And we then sort of watch as Toby, because he's writing this show that's going to be adapted to a play to be put onto Broadway because he wants to be a fantastic Broadway writer and this big gay star because he wants to be interesting to justify all the lies he's made about himself. Um, Himself. He, He... ends up sort of finding this person, Adam, um, who is played by Carl Richmond, to be in the show and to sort of accidentally becomes his muse. And we watch Toby become obsessed with this boy. And Toby's insane. Toby's fully traumatized and crazy. So part of the spiral we watch is Toby spiraling out of control over his lust and obsession for Adam. And then the other half of the spiral we watch is Eric Glass, who is the sweetest, loveliest man in the world. Um, uh, is this Thomas Cantor? This is Charles Purcell. Charles, Charles Cantor Purcell. is um, Toby. So Great. Charles okay. plays Eric Glass. It's a lot of names. Who we watch spiral, almost spiral upwards in the other direction. They sort of have an argument, they have a fight, and then Eric befriends Walter, who is also played by Dion, who is playing E.M. Forster. So there's a little bit of multiple hat wearing going on. And Walter is an older gay man that just moved into the same building with a southern accent. Perfect. Perfectly done by Dion. This was, oh, that was another key part of the show that I really love. Accents! Everybody was doing wonderful accent work. Um, So kudos to everybody. Um, And my favourite was Dion's southern accent as Walter Poole. So they befriend each other, and that is a friendship between Eric Glass, who was a younger gay man, and Walter, who was an older gay man. Um, and so that's part of the story that we watch there, is their friendship sort of becoming this really rich and rewarding part of Eric's life, and all the joy he draws from his friendship with Walter. Um, and it made me think, I've only recently made a few gay friends who are, you know... Southern. <laughs> I wish. Could you start speaking with a southern accent? Do you have a good southern accent? Uh, yes. Can you do it? <laughs> You'd have to pay me. All right. All it's right. my rule. That's fair <laughs> enough. If you want to go down south, you've got to pay. Mm-hmm. Huh? Oh, good. Thank Very you. Good. Thank you. Um, but only recently have I started to make uh, gay friends who are older than me. And I found that so rewarding in so many... And so, so seeing this show now feels quite timely because I recognize that joy and that 
that not wisdom, but that feeling of enrichment that comes from being friends with an older generation of gay people. Mm. You have a few older gay friends. Yeah. Do you feel a certain sense of specific enrichment from that friendship because of the generational gap? Yeah. Or, yeah, you do? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had never really had that up until recently, so I, I feel really vindicated to see it on stage. Um, <laughs> it's real. <laughs> I'm glad that all the things that I've told you came across as fiction. <laughs> I never trust most of the things you say. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Yeah, no, it's remarkable. Mm. Yeah. It's all really... the things, like, things that you've said about the, even just this play. Yeah. yeah. And we, so we, we watch that friendship sort of grow and blossom, and then Eric meets Walter's partner... Uh, Henry, played by Hunter Piersky, is a bajillionaire, like super rich. So we then watch, whereas Toby is spiraling downwards and he's sort of acting a bit more crazy and more crazy and people are pushing him away and he's becoming less and less in the mainstream and losing money. We then watch Eric rise through the social ranks and sort of end up in this relationship with this older gay man who gives him money and gives him treats and gives him a house and all of these things. And both of them are sort of escaping this tragedy of their past in different ways. So that's the sort of vehicle through which we then sort of watch all the other interactions in this show happen. A key part of the story is that Walter has this beautiful country house. And one of the most affecting parts of the show that I think will stick with me forever is Walter at this sort of... So the, the, the gaggle of gays come together again. They have this friendship brunch and uh, Eric invites Walter because he wants to bring his older gay friend into the circle so they all sit down they're all having a good time uh, Dion delivers one of my favourite lines of the whole show when he sm strikes up a cigarette starts smoking it all the gays of 2016 turn to him very slowly because they all hate smoking and he just very dryly says do you mind if I smoke <laughs> which just I really loved um, anywho he then is eventually their conversation sort of turns towards the AIDS crisis and he then just gives this 10 or 15 minute long monologue just brutally explaining what it felt like and how the AIDS crisis affected him in particular and he speaks about this beautiful country house that he and Henry his partner escaped to to get away from it all and how one day Henry went, went away overseas on business. And so Walter went back into the city and he met an old friend of his who he saw had AIDS. And so he brought his friend back to the house and he nursed him and he cleaned him and he looked after him and he died in the house. And then he eventually kept doing that and bringing his friends to this house where they just kept dying. And he describes it. And then he, at one point he says, imagine one of your best friends, they're dead. Imagine another one of your best friends, they're dead. And he just kept doing this and being like, imagine another one. They contracted it. Another one. They moved to another country to get away. And he just starts this harrowing. And so in the audience, I started doing that. And I started imagining like you. I started imagining you, Flynn, my housemates. Just what would happen if they all just dropped dead? And I think this show, and one of the reasons I was so affected and crying, and Flynn was crying, is for me in particular, I have never seen a show that so clearly... Uh, crystallized and summed up the weight, the loss, and the effects of the AIDS crisis in such a tangible and and like malleable way. Not malleable, um, just a, a way that I could almost reach out and touch it. Uh, that I suddenly felt what that would have been like. 
Um, and watching Dion, I felt really lucky and fortunate to be able to watch Dion do this harrowing monologue. And at the end of it, after watching this, 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 listening to this depressing and horrible description, he just says, and that is what it was. And it was just the finality he delivered it with. It's like, there was nothing magical about it. There was no way to romanticize it. It was just a brutal and horrifying loss of life. Um, and that was just in the first show. And then in the second show, we get another similar monologue uh, delivered by um, uh, Margaret, uh, played by Gillian Murray, um, who comes on and she's the caretaker of the house. So we've now, we've, we've now jumped to the point in time where Eric has come to the house. Because of his relationship with Henry, Henry allows him to stay in that house. And so he goes to the house and he meets Margaret. And Margaret, it turns out, is one of the mothers of the boys that died in the house. And she then gives this equally grim but beautiful monologue about how her son had come out to her and she had, you know, rejected it and lashed out and said, you know, this shouldn't be what you're doing. And he had left and she hadn't seen him for seven years and then she got a call from Walter who had found her number and, and told her, you know, your son's dying, I think you need to come and see him. And so she comes and stays with him on his deathbed. And then after that, she stays in the house and helps look after all of these men in the house that die as a form of penance for what she wasn't able to do for her son, which was just devastating. I, don't, I won't get into too much more about that. And there's more things that happen towards the end of the show there that I would love to tell you about, but I cannot because they do specifically spoil the entire show. Um, I, I, just tears, tears streaming down my face in the show. Um, I've never had that happen to me. Have you been, have you been may moved to tears by a show? Like, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Can you think of like one of the best examples of that happening for you? Jasmine. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. What, it did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, it did! Yes. No. Okay, but from sadness. Sadness. Oh, of course. The obvious like, example is the human voice. Of yeah. course. It's oh, famously right. fucked me in the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, often. <laughs> yeah, often. Yeah. I feel like I'm a tough cookie to crack. Sure. Uh, so for th I turned, I, I could see in the audience, because I was off to the side bank, so if I turned to the left, I could see everybody in the audience. And everyone was crying. There was just not a dry eye in the house. And I mean, like, like ugly tears shaking. Um, yeah, I just, hats off to these incredible actors. This cast, Jake, was incredible. Every single one of them was so talented. I just... I can't get over how well they operated as a unit and what Katan has done in directing this group of people to get them to bring this work out of themselves. I just feel so lucky to have seen it. Well, well, well. Another day, another episode of the Midsummery done and dusted, Jake. Mm, yep. Midsummerized. Midsummerized. Yes. We spoke about shows. We saw shows first before we spoke about them. That's the system. That's the system, and I think it works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, great. Anyway, you sweet listener, thank you so much for spending time with us. It's really sweet of you to do that. Mm. Um, if you're listening to us in real time, I hope that you're out there experiencing what the Midsummer Festival has to offer. There's a lot of really exciting stuff. And we've only just started chomping on this big pie. It is <laughs> pie. Pie. Okay, yeah, I like that. It is unbelievable that there is still so much to go. I'm so excited. Mm. Yeah, like I've, we've already seen some good stuff. <laughs> you know? Yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
proudly. And for no reason, let's expect it to just get better. <laughs> I'm just excited, Jake. I'm excited. Yum, yeah, yum, yum, the inheritance up. has you hungry for more. God, the inheritance destroyed me. I wonder like, if you'll cry more at something soon. I don't think it could be possible. Like, I was crying about it when I got home. Ugh, like, I got home. Grow up, James. And I thought about the closing <laughs> scene, and I started crying again. Mm. And I felt destroyed this morning. So, you know, warning, if you do go and see the inheritance... Pack some tissues, I guess. Yes. Be careful about dehydration. You might die. You might die. Yeah. Don't die. Um, Good advice, James. Thanks, thanks very much. People, <laughs> Wise as ever. People come here for advice. Um, yeah. Uh, so if you're, if you've got, oh, oh, and write in about like if you've had like an interesting or unique midsummer experience that you think is worthwhile mentioning. Like we, we, we want to hear about it. Like we want to hear about if you, Jake got dragged into a conversation with two gay men in the front seat at midsummer, and that is a unique midsummer experience. And I want to hear about more. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, <laughs> James has gotten very demanding. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes, and if you were completely unmoved by the inheritance and you think it should be stopped, let us know. <laughs> and I will fight you. I will fight you with my fists. Um, yeah. As usual, we may disagree with things that we've said on the podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, our opinions change because we're human beings. That's what happens. That's what people do. Mm. Um, and friends, don't let friends become theatre critics. Absolutely not. Yes, if you take nothing else from this episode, take that. And don't die. And also don't die. Don't take two things. There are two little nuggets for you. Hoot hoot. Uh, no. Yeah, it's a midsummer real. Uh, yeah, well, you can hang on to that little pet of yours. I will. And I'll be here with our other. I'll just be over here revving my motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> is that what that is? Yes, I'm wearing sunglasses, a leather jacket, and a big motorcycle. Vroom, you can't vroom. see him. You can't see him. There's no way that that can't be the truth. Prove it! <laughs> anyway, a good midsummer to you. Uh, and a good midsummer to you, Jake. Vroom, vroom. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>